Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revelation that gives us the wisdom we need to live right in this world. And we thank you for your greatest revelation, Jesus, God revealed in the flesh to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you teach us how to respond to life like him, to love like him, to live like him. I pray, God, that you'd make his love for us tangible and real, that that would empower us to, to pour ourselves out to love others, that we're not using others around us to get what we want, but that we could offer ourselves in love to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, if you're new, uh, again, my name is Andy, one of the pastors here at Restored, uh, and we are in the middle of a series, uh, to, uh, it's a series in Paul's letter to the Romans, or what's commonly called the Book of Romans. And it was a letter, it was actually intended to be, to be read in one sitting. If you think about a letter or an email, it's kind of funny, when you think about an email that gets sent out, I don't know how many of you guys send out emails or texts with like multiple subheadings and subsections, uh, it's pretty rare, okay? Uh, and so... Oftentimes, we can forget that, that Paul's letter to the Romans was initially that. It was a letter. Now, it's been broken up, and it's, it's helpful that we have chapters and verses, and it's helpful that uh, we can kind of, from a page layout standpoint, and for you guys to track with where I'm at, it's helpful that it's set up the way that it is. But it is a letter. And so it really has a couple big thoughts. And so we've been working through Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul is basically saying, um, what is wrong with this world, and what is God doing to make it right? So he walks through what God has done in the person and work of Jesus. And so basically he's saying, here's how what Jesus has done, and here's how it changes how all of humanity can relate to God. And for those who put their faith in Jesus, here's what changes for them. And then um, in Romans chapter 12, the middle of the letter, Paul moves from, if this is how your relationship with God has changed vertically, here's how your relationships horizontally should change. Here's how your relationships with other humans should be impacted by the good news of the gospel of Jesus. How do we relate to other humans on this side of the gospel? And so far in this section, we've, we've, we've kind of started a mini-series called Relate, because he, he's working through how we relate to others. And we've talked about how we relate to ourselves we relate to one another as a church family. The last two uh, messages in Romans, we talked about how we relate to our enemies. And today, we're going to talk about how we deal with a different group of people, different group of humans, the government. The government. Uh, how do we relate to a government that is apathetic, uninterested, or utterly antagonistic to our faith as followers of Jesus? Right? Most believers in the world are governed by people who are not believers. And that's been true throughout pretty much the history of the world. And so Paul's teaching is important for us. But man, is it controversial in so many ways for so many different reasons. And I feel like a message like today just guarantees that everyone's going to be bummed out. <laughs> but I have to also say that God's ways are often counterintuitive. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's inside-out change. And in the same way, oftentimes the things that we think would hamper our happiness, actually lead to joy and lead to life and life abundant. And so again, as I dive into this, I want to say this is what Paul's letter to the Romans teaches. This isn't my like idea of a good time or what I would have written. But I still want to say that this is God's word revealed through a man that, that's important for us. So if you guys have Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll have it up here on the screen. And we're going to move... Uh, we'll just work our way through the whole text, and then we'll comment after. Romans 13, starting in verse 1, says, Let everyone, who's everyone? Everyone, yeah, you too. 
submit to the governing authorities. Since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. You ever forget to pay? Orange County, 73, nightmare, nightmare. (laughs) Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. All right, guys, so here's my inspiring sermon this morning. Submit to the government and pay your taxes. Mic drop, man. You guys ready to go to lunch? Ready to pray? Anyone want to get saved? It's kind of funny. A lot of times uh, there's like these like church marketing guys that are really big on like mega church or churches of business. And they'll often send me emails. I don't know how I end up on these uh, mailing lists, but they'll send me emails on like how to grow your church in three easy steps. Which subtitles like, and you don't need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Ways to manipulate people to come into your event, in other words. And they pretty much always say, man, you got to preach a sermon series that's going to draw a crowd. Uh, pretty much they always say, if you want to grow your church, preach on sex, dating, and marriage if you want to grow your church. Another topic that really brings weird Christians out of the woodwork is preach on the end times. Right? Explain how current events may or may not be fulfilling biblical prophecy. Treat Revelation like a suspense movie, and you'll get enough people that could fill out multiple movie theaters in your church. And I always thought, man, you could have a real huge growth season if you preached a sermon series on sex and dating during the end times. <laughs> kind of best of both worlds. You guys can imagine these sermons, right? How to, how to spot the mark of the beast while spotting the mark of a guy worth marrying. It's cheesy, I know. Cheesy, I know. You laugh, though. Who's, who's worse? Anyways, today's sermon, uh, on paper, it's not exciting like those topics, all right? I'm just going to be honest with you. It doesn't answer practical questions people want answered about romantic relationships. It's not shrouded in mystery. As a matter of fact, it likely tells you what you already know in your heart but don't want to hear. Yeah, listen to authority. Paul's laying out God's purposes. By the way, he's laying out God's purposes for government, not what government always does. Government is full of fallen people in a fallen world and has been abused a lot over the years. In every culture, every continent, every country. But it's also been used in pretty much every continent and country and space to bless people. Um, But if we're honest, uh, we we don't like this. We don't like this idea of submitting to authority. Because submission and authority are real dirty words in our our cultural moment. They're going to be getting bleeped out on TV soon. Submission and authority are like the worst words in our culture. Pretty much any structure in our society today that says there is a right and a wrong way to do things, anything that says there is an objective truth or that there is a created order outside of you is being challenged. 
Anything that puts boundaries on what humans can and cannot choose is being challenged. Again, humans don't like this on a good day. We don't like people telling us what to do. We're sinful by nature. We're rebellious people. So first, we're sinners. Two, a lot of us are Americans. Three, if you're a member of this church, you're likely Protestant. And four, uh, you guys are mostly millennials. That's, that's a recipe for nobody tells me how to live my life. And I've been still in dodgeball. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. And you've been f- told for years now that a- this is being sold to you nonstop, to all of us, that any type of authority is tied to oppression. Any type of authority is tied to oppression. And that submitting to anything greater than yourself is always wrong. Now, authority can absolutely be abused. There's a reason why abuse is a word. There is a reason why not everyone can abuse. You have to have authority to abuse. Parents abuse. Leaders abuse. But so many amazing gifts of God can be abused and we don't seek to get rid of them. Alcohol can be abused. Sex can be abused. Money can be abused. God's remedy for the, the abuse of good gifts is not banning their use, but, their, but, but proper use. Does that make sense? Proper use. In other words, don't forbid the use of gifts. Teach people to use them well and wisely. So yes, authority and power can be abused, but authority, the way God designed it, is connected to human, human flourishing, not oppression. It's connected to human flourishing, not oppression. I'll give you an example. My authority as a parent exists to keep my kids safe and to ensure that they become the best versions of themselves. Sometimes to give them what they want would lead to their harm. We went up yesterday to Idlewild. We took a hike. There was a lot of ice out on the trail. They wanted to do a lot of, frankly, dumb stuff. And they were bummed out on some of the limitations we were putting on them, but their health was at stake. And and so God... Uh, God creates authority because we're a fallen people who get ourselves into trouble quick, and anarchy is really, really bad. Authority can be abused, but, but, but good authority exists for those that are underneath it. Authority is designed to create safety and order in a fallen world. Godly authority sets you free to flourish, and there can be a freedom in submission. Submission is for all followers of Jesus in a ton of different areas of life. But this isn't just true with parenting. Uh, I was in a counseling fellows program with the Redeemer Counseling Center in New York City. And one of our modules was on depression and anxiety with Generation Z. Uh, Depression and anxiety amongst Generation Z. Uh, By the way, that was a problem well before the pandemic with Gen Z. Anxiety and depression off the charts. And one of the therapists said that a large part of that anxiety was connected to the pressure this generation feels to create an identity for themselves all the time. They need to pick a gender. They need to decide on their meaning of life and create a worldview all by themselves before they've gone through puberty. This generation is gripped with decision anxiety because we're not giving them the luxury of handing them a worldview to make sense of their life with. Now, again, any adult that grows up and and differentiates, um, they're going to take something that's handed to them, and they're going to tweak it over time as they sort through their own values. But we're asking this generation to start from scratch. It's not tweaking. It's it's, it's what is reality. Come up with a philosophy of life at age 12. 
And so, yes, uh, for example, things like gender. There is gender dysmorphia, which is incredibly rare, research shows. And yes, people can express their gender in ways that don't fit into neat stereotypes. But that doesn't mean there isn't a ton of pressure that could be relieved if someone knew, I am a boy or I am a girl. By the way, if you want to read a, a brilliant author, dive into this topic. It is dense, but it is deep. Uh, it's an excellent book. Uh, pick up Carl Truman's book, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. And so as a culture, we're addicted to expressive individualism. This is what we're about. Uh, Mark Sayers, in his book, Disappearing Church, describes expressive individualism this way. He says, in a culture marked by expressive individualism, these are some of the markers you'll see. He's got seven of them. He says, number one, the highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Two, traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulations, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Three, the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. Technology, in particular the internet, will motor this progression towards a utopia. Four, the primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated itself. Therefore, social justice is less about economic or class inequality and more about issues of equality relating to individual identity, self-expression, and personal autonomy. Uh, number five, humans are inherently good in this worldview. Number six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst, even though they're made up of humans that are good, which is weird. <laughs> and number seven, forms of external authority are rejected and personal authenticity is allowed. Okay? By the way, this worldview isn't bound to a political philosophy. Okay? Um, the reason many people this is the same reason. The reason many people are offended by being asked to wear masks, okay? Now, as I say that, I'm not saying, uh, do you love wearing masks? Do you think it's a good policy? W would you do it if it was up to you? I'm not getting into all that. I I'm talking about when people get really angry about being asked to wear a mask. People that delay flights an hour and a half because they don't want to put a mask on. Uh, the anger behind that in our culture, it's like, oh, that's a conservative thing to do. But I'm telling you, the anger behind that, the thing that says this is offensive to me, is the same, is the same reasoning that says it's offensive to have two genders or to have he and she as default pronouns in a society. It's, it's the same idea. Expressive individualism says nobody tells me what to do. I don't fit into something bigger than myself. The thing bigger than myself needs to shrink to fit into me. Conservatives say, no one tells me what to do with my wallet. Progressives say, no one tells me what to do with my sex life. Either way, we go, no one tells me what to do. We're like toddlers in that way. No one's going to stop me from doing me. I live my truth. It's this idea that no one makes me conform. No one makes me turn down the volume on my individualism for the greater good. Again, the popularity of this worldview is being proclaimed to all of us all the time. 
It's why we now have movies winning awards that are more than subtly asking us to consider questions like, is it always a bad thing when parents abandon their children if they feel unfulfilled caring for those children? It's hard to have a society, though. So two steps back. That's kind of intense. It's hard to have a society if everyone has this perspective. Like, how do we do anything if everyone's an individual all the time? We don't have any collective moments of, of anything. And so I hope you can see why this text is hard to teach today in particular, submitting to authority. By the way, this is talking about the government. This isn't talking about pastors. This has nothing to do with me today, all right? There's a text on that. We're not going to read it. Uh, that, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm not looking for a power grab. This is for me, too. I, I don't like paying taxes. I don't like paying tolls. I, I abhor parking tickets. <laughs> I think they're demonic. But this is why it's good to teach verse by verse through books of the Bible, because they force us to talk about things I would never want to talk about if it was up to me. So how do Christians relate to the government? Before we answer that question, we need to answer another question first, and it's this. Who counts as the government according to what Paul is teaching in this letter? Who counts as the government? Uh, Douglas Moo, he's an outstanding New Testament scholar. He wrote uh, probably a top five commentary in the book of Romans all time. Definitely probably best of his generation. He, he says this, Governing authorities, as the translation suggests, refers to any person who represents the power of the state from the local bureaucrat right up to the emperor, president, or prime minister, okay? So, so governing authorities, it's, it's pretty broad. It's, it's, it's the people asked to govern by the people who have governing power, okay? Now, I want to say that there's this belief in America that because we're a democracy, that we're all the government. There's a lot of YouTube videos saying this. I am the government, okay? It's, it's not I am above the law. It's I am the law, okay? Which, again, is expressive individualism on steroids. That's not true, Okay? Uh, you have a part to play in the government. That is true, unlike many throughout history, okay? You can vote. But you're voting in a constitutional republic that votes for governing authorities who are then granted power they would not have if they had not been voted in. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you're not voting on anything. Um, which means they have a different power after the election than they had before their election, which means all citizens are not equal in our country. We don't have kings, but we do have governing authorities that have power over certain areas for certain amounts of time. And those roles are spelled out in our Constitution. Now, I don't want to turn this into a civics class. I just want to say that we live in a day and age where everyone thinks they've got a reason why they're exempt from submitting to the government. I'm going to tell you, you don't have that many, biblically. That's a common argument in our society, especially lately, okay? Which leads to another big question, why do we have government? Why do governing authorities exist? And the answer is because ever since the fall, the beginning of our story, it's, we also looked at throughout the book of Romans, evil and brokenness and sin and disorder make up a fallen world. And so we have governing authorities in pretty much every society to create some order and safety. Now, the governing authorities don't always do what is right. God will judge them, which we'll get into but they exist for a purpose. Government's God's idea. Chaos is not what God wants. Anarchy is not what God wants. Oppression is not what God wants. So what Paul seems to be saying here is that it, this is God's desire for the government. That they would offer safety, order, and justice in God's world because it's currently broken and sinful and it needs restraining. Okay? 
So I have two points today. Uh, one's quicker than the other, and they're this. Uh, number one, the government is called, this is what the government's called to do, it's called to suppress the bad and work for the flourishing of its people. The government is called to suppress the bad and work for the flourishing of its people. And number two, citizens are called to submit to and honor their governments whenever possible. And by the way, it's not always possible. We will get into that. Citizens are called to submit to and honor their governments whenever possible, all right? So number one, the government's called to suppress the bad and work for the flourishing of its people. Romans 13, verses 4 through 5, it says, For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. What Paul's saying is here is if we want to follow Jesus well and represent him well, we should by and large be a good citizen. Should be a good citizen. We should be low-maintenance citizens when the government's not asking us to do something wrong. Does that make sense? Um, we should be low-maintenance, like um, we shouldn't be the ones that are pushing hardest against public health orders without cause. We shouldn't be the ones who turn peaceful protests into looting. We, we do the peaceful protest part. We're not doing the looting. Um, we do our best to chip in for the common good in terms of public health and things like that. And so the government's got a couple jobs. One, it suppresses the bad. When governments allow injustice to thrive, for the strong to trample over the weak, that is a very unsafe, unhealthy, unstable country. Government's job is to punish what is wrong. Now, that doesn't always happen, as we'll see in a moment. But that's, that's God's desire for them, one aspect. The other thing that they're called to do is, uh, bring about, is help bring about the good. They encourage the good. So, so they're restraining evil, but they are encouraging the good. And sometimes these things come together. Uh, I listened to a fascinating podcast. Uh, it was an episode of the Conflicted History podcast called Food Cartel. Has anyone heard this? Okay. Uh, on paper, it doesn't sound that exciting. It's about the 1906 Pure, Pure Food and Drug Act. And, and you might not know this. This blew my mind. But before 1906, food at American grocery stores often had serious toxins in the food and didn't have to tell you. I know everyone thinks it's really bad now. All my hippie friends, everything's terrible. It's processed. Okay. Back in the day, you could have lead in your meat sawdust, toxic copper oxide, and they didn't have to disclose it to the public. There was no standard for food supply chains in this country. And people got sick all the time. Children got sick all the time. People died. That is until Congress passed the 1906 P Pure Food and Drugs Act. And so this idea, again, that's a good thing. I think we'd agree with that, right? There should be standards. You might think the standards should be higher. They probably should be. But can we agree that some standards are better than no standards in terms of the food we're putting in our bodies? And that it's great that we don't have to think about that day in and day out, that, that the government may do that for us. So the idea of government is created by God, and it's supposed to execute wrath and judgment on God's behalf. Uh, most scholars believe that this section on government is linked, is linked to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. We looked at a few weeks ago on enemy love, where Paul says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And one of the ways God executes vengeance, Paul says, is through 
government authorities. Now, hear me. It's not the ultimate way, and it's not the ultimate judgment. Governments certainly get a lot of things wrong. But in one sense, governments do stand in for God at times and execute justice on his behalf. It is far from perfect. I've stood in courtrooms where people that mean the world to me come face to face with the fact that they were victims of sexual abuse and they look at the one who perpetrated the abuse and even though they're guilty, they're going to serve less time in prison than they spent abusing one of my loved ones because of the statute of limitations that existed at that time in California. This is not perfect, guys. It is fallen. That's why one day God executes perfect justice. Justice gets fulfilled in its complete nature. But as fallen as it is, again, it is one way God executes justice uh, in this temporary time. Paul is saying, as much as you can, live at peace with the government by honoring and obeying them from your heart wherever you can. Again, our role is not to overthrow human governments. To influence, yes. To speak up prophetically about issues, yes. But to violently overthrow, no. Um, some people ask, does this mean the American Revolution was sin? Um, what would you say based on this text? They didn't want to pay taxes? And they killed people, right? If that offends you, remember these guys all pretty much all had slaves, with the exception of two. So we shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, how could they be sinners? Guys, like America's just a country. Okay? I think it's a better country than others. I think there's more freedoms here than others, but it's still a fallen country with fallen people who it's always been led by fallen people. I think sometimes people go, man, you know, Andy, what if the government sucks? I, I, I hate how they spend taxpayer money. What if the laws don't make sense to me? Again, we don't submit to things that make sense to us. That's really important. If you, if you agree with something, you don't submit to it. You agree with it. Submission is what you choose to do when you don't agree, but you acknowledge that the person making the decision has the right to make that decision that they're, they're a leader in this specific situation. They're, they're the authority in this situation. Now, again, I think so often we're like, man, you d- Paul didn't understand how bad the IRS would be. Paul didn't understand how bad modern-day police, how militarized modern-day policing would be. Paul didn't understand on and on and on it goes. But actually, Paul did understand. Paul had spent a lot of time in prison. He knew what it was uh, to actually be persecuted, The American church often talks about being persecuted, and it's the least persecuted church in the history of the world. But it's it's the most, uh, it's the it. it, If if the church is the body, that's one of the metaphors in the New Testament. This is a real time analogy. This isn't my notes, so bear with me. If the church is a body, I feel like in America the body is like has persecution hypochondria. Persecute. We got to wear masks. What? That's not persecution. It's not. It's uncomfortable, it's annoying, might be kind of dumb, depends on your view, not persecution. I promise you our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world would be thrilled with this setup for a gathering. Paul knew what it was like. Uh, There's a guy named Nero, uh, and um, he was emperor uh, within 10 years of when Paul wrote this letter, and Nero is not a good cat. I know you don't like Donald Trump, you might not like Joe Biden, you might not like Ted Cruz, you might not like Alex Ocasio-Cortez, whoever's, uh, whoever's doing their thing right now in the Senate, the Congress, uh, and the executive branch, the Supreme Court, um, but they were not Rome. 
They're not. Uh, Nero became emperor when his mom killed his dad. Uh, he would later kill his own mother because she disapproved of the fact that he stole the wife of a married woman. And Nero's wife didn't trust his mom. He intentionally, or at least it's strongly believed, set fire to Rome. And what he definitely did is he blamed Christians for the fire so that they would be persecuted. He had parties where Christians were burned alive. Another time he um, was so angry with his pregnant wife that he kicked her to death and the baby. He felt bad about it later. So he had a boy that looked like his wife castrated, and he forced the boy to marry him. Again, Gavin Newsom, Trump, whatever, it's not this, man. It's not this. So what's, it, so what's expected of us with, with fallen leaders? And that's number two. Citizens are called to submit to and honor their governments whenever possible. Whenever possible. And we do that with our, uh, our perspective, like our, sorry, not our perspective, our posture and our financial resources. We do that through, um, with respect and with resources. So you might be wondering, you know, when do we obey governing authorities? And, uh, and again, it's, 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 it's complicated. The first thing you need to know as a follower of Jesus that your, your primary allegiance and loyalty is to Jesus first, not to the government. It's to Jesus first. Uh, Jesus' clear teaching is truer to you than the Constitution of the United States or the county, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the ordinances are in, in the county or the city, okay? Um, we don't submit to governing authorities when they ask us to disobey the teaching of Jesus. Uh, historically, Christian ethicists have taught that we work with and submit to governing authorities as long as they are not doing one of two things, commanding us to do what God forbids, or forbidding us to do what God commands, okay? So Christians, again, they should, they should, our default should be to obey unless we're being commanded to do what God forbids or forbid, or, or they're forbidding what God commands. But we can work for and in, we can work in and for a government gladly that allows people to do what God forbids or allows people to not do what God commands. You guys see the difference? I'll walk through these, okay? So, so if a government commanded us to do what God forbids, um, this would be like acts of genocide that have taken place in our world or state-sponsored uh, slavery, things like the one-child policy in China, asking you to teach that sin is virtuous. Okay, so, so actually, so th- these would be examples of us being commanded to do what God clearly forbids. But it could also be forbidding what God commands. This is true all over the world today. Uh, you know, you're not allowed to preach the gospel. You're not allowed to teach the scriptures. Or you're, or you're allowed to teach the scriptures like you could in Nazi Germany if they agree with Hitler and his political platform. And in communist China today. Uh, forbidding what God commands. Uh, Las Vegas had a city ordinance that said you couldn't feed the poor. You couldn't feed homeless people. Food. I was talking about giving them money, feeding them food. Uh, the United States had policies in Iraq that you couldn't bring medical uh, you couldn't bring medical provisions to uh, people who had been in, civilians who had been injured by the war. And some people went in, uh, some Christians went in and, and, and uh, opposed that and went to jail for a while. And had to stand before judges for providing medical supplies to refugees. Now, on the flip side, the government 
we don't believe in a theocracy. There is a separation of church and state. And John Stott says this is probably likely what Paul's going for. The church is the church, the government's the government. Now, we, we partner on some stuff, but the church does not control the government, and the government does not control the church. Okay? Uh, one guy, uh, one of my favorite quotes, he says, when the church mixes with politics, it's like mixing manure with ice cream. It's real bad for the ice cream. It's fine for the manure. All right? Uh, the, the church is the ice cream, fam. Okay? There's salt and ice cream. We're salt and light. You get it. We, we want to be separate. We don't want the government. And we also don't want the government pretending to be Christian, doing terrible things. Okay? That happens all the time, too, in, in history. So, so a, a, you know, a, a government could allow what God forbids, like ours does. You are more than welcome to have sex with whoever you want as a consenting adult in our society. The scriptures don't give you that freedom. Jesus doesn't give us that freedom. You're free to get drunk. You're free to abandon your family. In many nations, especially in Muslim nations, you're free to beat your wife or your children. In our society, you're free to look at porn. The assumption with millennials and most Gen Z people is they are consuming porn. Uh, you're free to divorce, no-fault divorce. That's, that's free in our society. Uh, gossip and slander is fine. Uh, gluttony, right? I can eat whatever I want. I'm an American. You're free to do that, but the scriptures say you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you need to honor this thing that you have on loan. You're free to get an abortion. You're, you're free to be materialistic. You're free to be a racist. You're free to gamble and not provide for your family. There is much you're free to do in our society. But as far as we used to go, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's something I'm doing. I, I follow the teachings of Jesus. Just because I'm allowed to doesn't mean I'm going to. And so God's desire is that the government punishes evil and encourages good. But when it is commanding evil or punishing good, we are free to disobey. This is the whenever, we're not, it's not always possible to partner with all governments. In Acts chapter 5, uh, the apostles, they're for, uh, they are forbidden to, to preach about Jesus. And uh, I'll read the text. It says, After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you to not teach in, the, in his name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. Verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. It's like, hey, isn't this amazing? When the government's like, dude, everyone's hearing about the gospel. This is not good. Like, they, their enemies are confirming what's, what's happening. Uh, and they go, you got to stop. We told you to stop preaching in this guy's name. And they say, we have to obey God rather than people. That's still true for us. Key, though, they're not jerks. I want you to catch that. Uh, they're, they're not jerks. Um, we see this with, with Daniel. Uh, there's a law passed that you cannot pray, and he prays over and over and over again, and he gets into a lot of trouble. We see this in Exodus. There's the Hebrew midwives. They save the lives of the babies. Pharaoh says, kill all the babies, all the Hebrew babies, and they save their lives. They're, they're disobeying, okay? Um, we, we see this also in the life of Jesus, 
Uh, in John chapter 19, he's uh, standing before Pilate. And uh, Pilate says this. He says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then check out what Jesus says. He says, you would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus isn't freaking out. He goes, do what you need to do. You have the authority, uh, uh, right? And, um, and this is why it's important. I think it's helpful to look at this idea that, that we are called to submit to the government, not necessarily to always obey the government. Because there are times where we're going to be, we're going to, civil disobedience is necessary, but Christians submit to the consequences. It's an important thing, okay? When we disobey, we, we accept the consequences. There's a lot of people in our culture right now who they uh, want to disobey, and then they don't want the consequences. That's not what we see. We see that in Acts. Like, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. They're like, all right, we're going to keep talking about Jesus. Kill us if you need to, right? I have the power to crucify you. Do what you need to do. I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not going anywhere. So our default position should be submission if, uh, if, 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 should always be submission. If necessary, civil disobedience. But Christians shouldn't be the ones the government has to worry about all the time. Unless they're up to no good. If there's gray areas, we, 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 our default position is prayerful submission before we move to civil disobedience in gray areas especially. But there is a time to, to disobey and to, um, to humbly submit to the consequences. Uh, there's a, um, this is just a wild description. Uh, it's uh, a Southern Baptist missionary. Uh, who talked to believers in China about their experience. And it says this, it says, he asked believers in China who are sometimes harassed by police there for gathering to worship, how they respond. And again, I think we often think, because we live in a culture that's like, fight for your rights. They don't really have rights in this context in a communist country as, as religious people, as Christian people. He said, they replied, the police say, if you do not stop these meetings, we will confiscate your house and we will throw you out onto the street. We respond, do you want my house? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because they gave the property to him. Well, when we take your property, you and your family will have nowhere to live. And we respond, you must do what you must, but then we will be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you, the persecutors will tell them. Then we'll be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers respond. And then we will put you in prison, the police threaten. By now the believers' response is almost predictable. Then we will be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives, to set them free, and to plant churches in prison. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you try to do that, we'll kill you, the authorities vow. Then we'll be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Again, respectful attitude, but like we're not, we're not going to back down on this thing, but we submit to the consequences. By the way, there is complexity on that in America. I have a whole legal paper you can read on gray areas if you want to get into that. But for most of us at an individual level, okay, do we start out in the space of prayerful uh, submission? Or do we always lead with nobody tells me how to live like our culture does? Nobody tells me what to do. One thing I want to say is uh, this idea of submission, it doesn't mean you agree, okay? 
Okay, so, but, but when it's not an issue of right or wrong, clearly taught in the scriptures, we, we submit. It doesn't mean you agree with it or love it. I also want to say that. But you are respectful, okay? There's so much stuff, man, right now. Uh, whether you're watching Fox News, CNN, podcasts, whatever you're doing, conservative, liberal, uh, there is so much mocking in the media towards whoever you disagree with politically. As a Christian, what's not on the table for you is to call the government idiots, or stupid, or, again, I promise you, they're making decisions you wouldn't know how to make, even though you think you would know how to make them. The Afghanistan withdrawal, you tell me what we should have done, and how you came up with that on your own. It gets more complex as, as time, it should have been, my, my point is, is oftentimes government leaders step into situations we don't have to, to, to deal with. I promise you with COVID, did they overreact? Probably for a while, but they probably also saw, uh, projections that would terrify you if you thought you'd be responsible for it. And so there's so many scenarios where um, we're respectful and humble. Even if we disagree and go, I wouldn't do it if that was me. I, I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Um, we're respectful. They can expect Christians to be respectful. And last but not least, they can expect us to pay our taxes. I think this is pretty basic, but sometimes it's not. Um, cheating on your taxes is sin, Okay. Again, you're free, constitutional republic. You can vote for people who lower the taxes or change the taxes or raise the taxes on certain people. You're free to disagree with it. But whatever it is, when it's tax time, whatever regime, whatever the laws on the books are, at that time, that's what you're bound by. Okay? Not like, man, I, <laughs> Jesus calling me to a lower tax code, right? No. <laughs> He's clear. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul's clear, okay? For this reason, pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants. Again, we tend to focus on like the hyper-political aspects of government in our society right now. There's a lot, there's a lot about the government that's not super political. Uh, for example, the roads you drive on. They're bad or they're good. San Diego's aren't the greatest. Uh, Abigail's dad always tells me how bad San Diego's roads are. He's like, in L.A., man, so much better. 911. Uh, yeah, food purity. Uh, state medical boards. Aren't you glad not just anyone can decide they're a doctor? I know anyone get a YouTube channel and act like a doctor, but aren't you stoked fools can't just do surgery on you? Again, there's bad doctors even with that process. Can you imagine nothing? Okay? I know some of us hate it. Speed limits are a gift from God. Think how crazy it gets on the freeway right now with speed limits. Imagine nothing. Uh, how many of you guys think through international trade agreements in your spare time? How many of you guys think that through? A lot of you don't have, right? So, so again, there's a lot that the government does that um, it just benefits most of us most of the time, okay? The fact that you can call 911 and an ambulance can come if you need one, okay? That's a good thing, not a bad thing, okay? We should want that for as many people as possible, um, if possible. And so, in other words, we want to honor the people that provide those services and work hard to, to, to see those services happen. Does that make sense? And so um, I want to close by saying this, and this has to do with the respect thing. Um, again, what we're not called to do in the scriptures towards our government officials is complain about them. What we are called to do is to pray for them, okay? How many of you guys have prayed for Joe Biden in the past week? Anybody? That's commanded multiple times in the New Testament to pray for your leaders. How many of you guys prayed for Gavin Newsom this week? Nobody? Okay. Uh, so what I want to do is, is start small, Okay? And here's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to make you pray for uh, people. By the way, how did you guys pray for Trump when he was president? Like all the time. Right? Our leaders need wisdom. 
We can complain about it. Or again, vote, do your thing. But once whoever's in there is in there, we're called to pray for them. In the New Testament, they were praying for the Roman emperors. Eventually, a Roman emperor gets saved. It changes a lot. Some good, some bad. But do we pray? So what I want to do real quick, I, know, I want to call the worship team up. And um, I know I've hit hard on, on submission, all that stuff. There's also a call. By the way, I'm, if you work for the government and you're here, um, uh, it's tricky because you're called to submit and to use your power the right way. So it can feel like a really, really challenging message. But what I wanted to do was um, just take a second to pray for the government, uh, for governing officials uh, that have to make big decisions. Um, and I want to start out, um, this is kind of vulnerable, uh, but if you're comfortable and you're here and you work for the government, so you're a teacher or a administrator or a police officer or a anything else, you don't need to say what you are, but would you stand um, if you're here and you work for the government and you're a leader in the government in any, okay. Thanks, guys. Cool. Got some teachers, got some principals. Okay. So what I want to do real quick is uh, I want to pray for these amazing men and women. Because here's what we need. We need people who love Jesus in authority, loving people. Using their authority to bless and heal, not to curse. Does that make sense? And so what I want to do right now is just is pray for you guys if that's okay. Uh, that God will give you the wisdom you need. Because um, you guys need it. I'm sure they could tell you story after story that it's hard to be a leader right now. And it's hard to govern right now. So um, would you guys join me in prayer? I know it's COVID, otherwise I would love to, to gather around and lay hands on these men and women. But Lord, I pray for, for the teachers in the room, for the principals in the room, social workers in the room, law enforcement officers in the room. Lord, you've, you've entrusted them with authority. That's not for them. It's not for them to talk down to people with. It's not for them to crush people with. It's for them to create flourishing and safety. It's to hold back evil. And again, a lot of people have abused authority. Would that not be true of the men and women standing in this room in this moment right now? Father, would you grant them wisdom? Would you empower them to know what to do and when to do it? Would you empower them to apologize when they get it wrong? Would you give them humility? Would you remind them that their job is to get underneath those they have authority over to lift them up, not to crush them? It's to get underneath to lift them up. It's great spaces of flourishing. I love what it says. I think it's in 1 Samuel. It says that, that when a righteous king is governing, the people flourish like a crop that's taken care of well. That the people are fruitful when good leadership is administered. And so, Lord, would you give these men and women the, the type of wisdom and leadership gift that they need to see those under their authority. I want them to think of their authority as care, under their care, flourish. Would you give them courage to confront evil, to confront injustice, to not, um, to not acquiesce to compromise they see in the power around them, or they see injustice, or they see wrongdoing? Would they not be worried about their own advancement but the advancement of your kingdom and the good of all people. And so, Lord, would you um, fill these precious men and women that we're honored to have in our church, would you fill them in a fresh way with your Holy Spirit to govern their areas the right way, the righteous way. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I want you to contemplate the type of king Jesus is. Ultimately, the reason why we can submit to fallible, fallen, messed up earthly leaders is because Jesus will judge them for how they use their authority one day. And we know what kind of judge he is. We know what kind of king he is. We know how he used his authority and how he uses his authority. There's no greater act of authority for the benefit of others than Jesus getting underneath our sin, carrying a cross, not out of weakness, but out of love and true power. He, he lays his life down on behalf of his people. He sacrifices. He's the ultimate servant leader. He dies that we might live. He dies. Um, he suffers that we might flourish. <laughs>